Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Oh my God, that's gross. Corey Feldman does not know how to eat a freaking pizza pizza. Completely changed the face of everything. It's good. It's very unique. I will give it that. Oh, thanks. I don't want to embarrass myself. Should I embarrass myself? No, that's... Please, no. Oh, shut up. <laughs> shut up. I am embarrassed. Hi, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie came out during the same time, or maybe our film didn't catch on with an audience during its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, perhaps what we don't love about it, and decide whether the movie is worth a revisit. So before we talk about this week's movie, let's give you a little background information on each other. Mike, why don't you go first, since uh, I've been talking. All right. I'm Mike Butler. I'm an actor and writer, primarily an actor, based on the East Coast. I've done a few independent films, some stage work and web series, and... I also, for my day job, is uh, I work at the uh, at a, mov- a local movie theater, so I get to see the, I would say, the last step of the movie-making process. I think that it provides a little insight for, in terms of uh, both of our viewpoints, um, you know, the exhibition side and filmmaking side. I am Mike Field, as I said before. I'm a writer, content creator. I guess that's the buzzword for the, this. Uh, it used to be filmmaker, but content creator is probably Ooh. more accurate. But I'm just saying, it's the same thing. Uh, I've done several screen. Pl- I've done several short films, a couple web series, uh, two books, and uh, just re- writing a whole buttload, buttload of stuff. Ooh. I did just finish a play, uh, so that's exciting as well. I also work at the movie theater with Mike, um, as stated before. And uh, yeah, I mean, I love movies. I love everything about them. I love telling them, telling stories. I love watching films. So I think uh, I don't know. I know things. <laughs> I mean, I, I say that with uh, tongue-in-cheek Of course, of course So uh, for this week's episode, uh, we're going to talk about the 1999 movie Stir of Echoes Close your eyes Close your eyes, Close your eyes. Why do I know that song? The man's switch got flipped He's a receiver now She's taking him away She was here What's the problem? He's afraid of the dead. He can't stop it. He can't slow it down. He can't even figure it out. No! Whatever door you open in my mind, I want you to shut up. Which is interesting because this is the first one we've done. And I think out of the list we've made, really one of the only ones where I haven't actually seen the movie. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought you had seen it. No, this is this is the first one we're doing where it's forgotten for you, but I have not seen it yet before. What's funny about this, I told my wife that we were going to be doing Stir of Echoes, and she was like, ooh, I love that movie. So it's like, I mean, it's this. we're going to go into why I think it was forgotten, but um, I've always liked this movie, um, and we'll get into it, but I've always, I've, I, when I first saw this movie, I loved it. I, I'm a big fan of David Kep, mm-hmm. so I immediately was just like as soon as that movie ended I was like oh wow I, I was super into that I really liked Kep's earlier one Trigger Effect as well I have not seen that one either. which you should because that's in, I, Stir of Echoes is better but to me in my opinion but um, uh, the Trigger Effect is, is good as well alright so uh, 
You want to get into it? So uh, I guess so. So you want me to? I know I, well, we've been breaking down the facts to start off. Okay, so real quick, came out in 1999. Op- it was actually released September 10th, 1999, alongside Blue Streak. Do you remember that movie? <laughs> oh, I remember Blue Streak. That movie did well that week, but that's that was when Martin Lawrence was Martin Lawrence. He was huge. Yeah, I like Blue Streak. All right, stop. It's got, Love of the Game, got, which was Kevin Costner, which is kind of like if you loved Bull Durham, you wanted for Love of the Game to be like Bull Durham, but it wasn't. It's not bad. It's just it wasn't what you what was expected. And it's limited run American Beauty, which, I mean, we've talked to, I don't know if we haven't talked about this. Oh, I think we have, of how 1990, I think 1999 was the last great year of film. We've discussed it a little right. bit, yeah. Right. And, and that's, not a, that's not a hot take. Everybody, there's just a lot of people that if you go online, you know, toss that out there and I, I haven't really thought of any other year since then where it's just been like almost and you're talking like 30 movies 30 movies that 30 to 40 movies that were just really good mm-hmm. and it was just kind of like it, it was non-stop like everything in 99 was great not that I want to run through that list Listen, anyways this was released in September 10th what were you going to say I was going to say you got to put them all out before the uh, the world ends in 2000 <laughs> that's probably why that's probably why uh, so, so it was written and directed by David Kep. Uh, who has done Jurassic Park, wrote Jurassic Park, wrote... Come on, you, you're good with this. Uh, wrote... I believe he also wrote The Lost World. He did. He did. He's done a lot of script doctoring. Script, uh, but speaking of that, did you know that the script doctor in this was Andrew Kevin Walker? I did not know that. Seven? Yeah. Nice. I didn't, I didn't know that either until this. Until going back and looking it up. So it stars Kevin Bacon, Catherine Urbe, Ileana, Ileana Douglas, Kevin Dunn, Jennifer Morrison, which I... Did you know that that she plays the girl? I mean, once the movie started, I yeah. saw that. I didn't know she really did anything before. Yeah. I had never seen anything pre-House. So that was interesting. No, I never watched House. But I, I know her from... I've only seen the first season. Was that Once Upon a Time? And that was only because my wife wanted to watch it. Boo. I did not. I stopped watching it. I stopped watching it. <laughs> so it was 99 minutes long, which I think is a perfect runtime for a lot of films. Rated R. Budget of $12 million. It made $21 million domestic. I don't... It wasn't released international, which I guess... Or world, worldwide, I guess. Which is probably more... That was probably... happened more often than not back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, its opening weekend was $5 million. And was shot in the fall of 1998. So that's what I got down here for facts, production facts. Do you have anything? Uh, no, you got no weird facts for me? Weird facts? No, no. ghosts on set? Nothing Nothing. Ghosts nothing freaky? Set. Do you have ghosts on set? I got nothing. I mean, Poltergeist had a bunch of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you're not a cool ghost horror movie if you don't have ghost stuff happening after. Like, did, did random people die afterward? <laughs> and the weirdest fact I could find about the movie is that the, uh, the little boy, who actually... At first, I wasn't a big fan of, but then he kind of grew on me. He never did anything after this film. I saw that, too. Um, so I thought that was interesting. So real quick, I just because I, I blanked on a lot of the stuff that Kep has written, which shame on me. So I, I would be remiss if I did not drop down there. Death Becomes Her, Carlito's Way, The Paper, which is, that's another one that we should probably write down. That's really underrated. The that's, Paper is great. Yeah. I had to watch The Paper in school. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's good. Uh, the first Mission Impossible, the, before they made the 10 others. <laughs> uh, he did write Panic Room, which I like. He did write the movie you don't like, Secret Window. I don't like that. <laughs> Indiana Jones 4, uh, King of the Crystal Skull. And, uh, yeah, I think recently... I you, mean, he you, does. I know he does a lot of, like... Um, you missed The Shadow. Script, uh, I did not miss The Shadow. I love The Shadow. <laughs> Shoot through him. Okay. So, yeah, so I, didn't, I just didn't want to think that, you know... Let, let anyone out there think I didn't know who David Kipp was, because I'm a big fan. And I think he, he is... His, and I actually like a lot of the movies he directs. I just think, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It, 
probably when we talk about this movie, I'll probably go into why I love this movie so much. Um, so yeah, so I guess spoiler alert: I love this movie a lot. <laughs> I, I I'll, I'm going to start off with this because one of the reasons why this movie got overlooked is because it came out after uh, The Sixth Sense. Oh, that's funny because most of my notes are comparisons to The well, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense came out August sixth, so this uh, the same year. So this came out a month after. I think this is better than Sixth Sense. <laughs> You're wrong, but I, that's fine. That's incorrect. That's I'm adorable. Not I'm not wrong. We You're can argue wrong. that. This whole this whole thing could be <laughs> Stir of Echoes versus Sixth Sense, but I, I I've always thought that this movie was better. I've I've liked this movie more than Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm not getting. I love and I like the Sixth Sense, but that's not my favorite Shyamalan movie. It's, it's not my favorite Shyamalan right. movie either. It's, but. it's unbreakable. Yes, but the Sixth Sense. The biggest reason why one of the biggest reasons why the Sixth Sense was so popular was the ending, was the twist, was because that nobody saw it coming. Was that big thing at the end? But if you eliminate that, if you know that going in, if you know that the, what the twist is going into that movie, it does not hold up. I disagree. I think the twist makes the movie completely rewatchable. You can go back and rewatch and find out all the scenes. Like, was he a ghost? Go back and watch it again and say, oh, man, yes, he was. Every time that was red, there was a ghost. And every time, like, his door to the basement, it was red. But when I, they're at dinner, okay. she ignores him. And you don't notice that watching it. I get that. And I would argue that that's a gimmick, not story. That's what I would argue. Whereas in this movie, it's a story. You're being told a story that is completely fluid, that is completely engaging. And it probably helps that it's based on a book. That it's got a lot, its source material is already laid out for you, so it's, you, you've got a lot of that stuff there. And even though I'm 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 in love with the, this movie, or I like this movie quite a bit, I I will tell you that there are some stuff that I kind of was like, eh, well, you know. All right, good because <laughs> a spoiler alert. I <laughs> I did not like this movie, but I thought this movie was okay. Well, then well, it's unfortunate that this will be the last episode. Of <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. Of course, you're entitled to your opinion. Everyone is, and that's fine. But uh, we'll get into it. So I know I just we just went off on a sixth sense tangent. Um, all right. So why, I tell you what. Why don't you? Uh, how about I tell you what I like about it, and then if you want to shoot that down, we'll go from there. Rather than I mean, I, I've got some viewing notes, but I mean, like, I don't know how you want to play this. You want to go by? You want to? You want to start off what since? Well, why don't we tell you the basic plot of the film? Well, that's that probably helps too. Probably and also, that. why don't you give them the disclaimer? That okay. You, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Stir of Echoes yet, and you're listening to this podcast, I don't know why. Stop. Watch Stir of Echoes. Come back. Listen to the rest of this podcast. Make sure that you have subscribed to the podcast so you can find it easily on your your Android and uh, iPhone. Subscribe everywhere you can. (laughs) Watch it on every device. I mean, it might be a little different every time. (laughs) Basically, it's a a family. uh, Kevin Bacon, Catherine Ruby, and their son. And they, um, I think they've just moved to the neighborhood. It's Chicago. It's... uh, uh, urban Chicago neighborhood, and it's like everyone in the neighborhood knows everyone. It's one of those, you know, everyone's friends. Everyone, it's like one of those neighborhoods. And uh, the, you start off, but the son obviously is uh, intuitive too. He has the sight, as you as later on, he, he he can commune with dead people. He sees them. He can hear. They, he he uh, he doesn't have full on. Con- well, I guess he does have full on conversations with them, but he basically can talk to them. Mm-hmm. And they go to a party. And Kevin Bacon's character is hypnotized by uh, his wife's sister, who's a witch or Wiccan. And she oh, and they they play this game. They do it like because he says, "Oh, I can't be hypnotized." They, they hypnotize him, and uh, he, she opens his mind. She tells him to be open to everything. What ends up doing is he becomes a conduit for spirits, or he starts seeing. He starts having flashes of imagery, but more. But it, what the imagery he is seeing is something happening to a girl 
in his house at some point in the past. And so so he's trying to figure out the whole movie is he's trying to figure out what this means. He's trying to figure out what, what happened to the girl. Um, his he's also coming from a part uh, uh, that he feels that he's done nothing in his life. He's not a, he, he didn't think he, he has that comment where I should think is a fantastic uh, line of dialogue where he didn't think his whole life would be so ordinary. I can relate to that. Um, be, you know, being I'm probably his age at this point uh, in the movie. He's probably like late thirties in this, I think. So he's just trying to solve the mis- solve the mystery of w- the who this girl is trying to contact him, contact him from beyond the grave and, and what it means. And, and, and that's basically the plot of the story without giving too much of it away, which we will give it away when we start talking. All right. So uh, we're going pros? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you uh, – one of the things I like – I'll tell you what I liked about it. Okay. Since uh, – I'll just, I'll just lay it out. Lay it all out for okay. me. Okay. I love the writing. Like I said, I think the story is tight. I think it's fluid. I think it works well. I, I, I know that we have had discussions about when we're talking about a certain TV series or, on, on Netflix – where I tell you that, like, in comparison to other shows, like, there's scenes in, in this in the series where they're just talking to talk. And they're saying the same thing they've said for the last 20 minutes. And it's so boring. So in this, in the movie, in a movie, you can't afford to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though sometimes that happens. But in this movie, everything leads to the next scene. Everything in, in the story, it means something. And I think that the story, like I said, it's tight and it's fluid. I love the acting. I actually love... Kevin Bacon's choice because when you first meet him, he's a dick. Like he, right? First, and he's kind of like, but he, but then you really blue collar guy. He's, um, you know, you understand why he's upset because he's like I said, he thinks that he didn't realize his life would be so ordinary. He was in a band and he thought that he would be an you know, a rock star and he married, you know, he, he married this girl they loved and they had a kid and now he's like, he tells me he's like, I'm not going to be cut in line, you know, because he works for the telephone company, right? I'm not going to be cut in line for the rest of my life. That kind of thing. She, he thinks his life stinks. She likes the life. So it's 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 relatable, but I I enjoy the way Kevin or the way Bacon took that character, you know, because because I didn't when I first watched it, when I watched it again, I hadn't seen this movie uh, for a while. So when I first watched it, I was like, wow, he's a jerk. But then I was like, I like that because it makes sense going through the rest of the story, just kind of like the type of person he was and stuff like that. Right. You know, I'm not I'm not going to be a lineman forever. I promise you that. What do you mean? I clip, clip wire all day. A monkey could do it. Yeah, but they're going to move you into the office soon, before the end of the year at least. No, I meant when we first got together. You know, I, I said a lot of stuff about where I was going to go and what I was going to be in it. And I just wanted you to know that uh, I wasn't giving you some kind of line, you know, that I meant it. I didn't marry you because I thought you were going to be famous. Just like the way your ass looked in jeans. Oh, I never wanted to be famous. I just, uh, I didn't expect to be so... What? I don't know. Ordinary. I enjoy the, the way the supernatural aspect of this movie uh, weaves within the real world like it's uh, I feel like it's not too like it's believable the believability or the relatability of his visions what has happened to him living in this world trying to figure it out within the world's context when he has those dream states where he pictures that kid shooting himself all that stuff I thought that was very well done I thought it was seamless and it's the other thing I like about it and I I know I I just laid it out that it's a mystery trying to figure out what, what the girl did what happened to the girl I also like that it's about a family 
trying to figure out this new power or force that has happened to him and trying because because Catherine's everybody's character his wife's character Maggie she's just not a placeholder she's not in there just to kind of like be his sounding board she's actually actively trying to figure out what's happening she's actively you know she's she's she goes to the guy that says he's got the site and right. that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. I I like that they're they're all in it together so those are those are like probably the four big likes that I had there and I know that I laid them all out for you tell me why I'm wrong <laughs> I mean, I don't think you're wrong about the things you like about the film. Oh, thanks, man. I don't think that necessarily makes it better than The thanks, Sixth Sense. <laughs> um, I feel but like I mean, big butt's coming right here. Well, the one thing about David Kep is his writing is fantastic. His dialogue is great. It's always great. He writes really tight, awesome dialogue that, that you want to hear more of. Uh, even his unlikable characters are likable. Like, you mean talk about Bacon or who else? No, I just mean in, even in like films where there's a villain, um, oh, they're, they're likable Bacon's character, like you said, he does start off with like a complete dick mm-hmm. um, when she talks about how she's pregnant with their second child. Oh, I know. Yeah. And he's just like, bummer was his line that he <laughs> says. It's, it's just awful. I, I sat there going, oh man, this is going to be an w- awkward movie. Um, but he does kind of lighten up, I guess, a bit. He does kind of tone that down as I, the movie well, goes. I think that, that also has the whole idea of him being open. Like, you, I mean, you're only getting a glimpse of how he is, like with with, with the sister, and you, like she clearly loves him, but she is always at odds with him, right? You know, you know, so he doesn't believe in the nonsense that what she does, that as he as she says mm-hmm. to him. So, I think that I think that's why he's like that in the beginning to show a little bit of that. Otherwise, I mean, you'd have to have another 20 minutes of him being a jerk off so that you can understand, you know, what that point at the party because that party comes like 15 minutes in, like. Here's my thing about the party. Okay. How, how many people have that big of house parties? It's not a college dorm. The party was a little ridiculous. Listen, listen. I've always... If you're okay, if you're okay with the parties that they have in Can't Hardly Wait and Project X <laughs> and these movies where you have these high school parties that nobody's ever had before, if you're okay with that believability, you need to be okay with a block party. I'm not okay with those movies. <laughs> they, but they have the block party twice, which it, it does make sense in a, in a large Chicago Irish Catholic neighborhood like, because they had that second party where the church is hosting it, and that that right. made that party made well, sense. Why wouldn't another party make sense? It was just the dude hosting a party at his house. This is this is what happens in the city. Oh, this is the '90s, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I also responded. Well, I really love the part where he talks about his ordinary life. Yeah. and listen, it's not always going to be ordinary. It hit home for me too. I think basically anybody who's watching it who wanted to do something creative with their life and is stuck in like a nine to five right. can find something relatable about that. That's a great example of exposition, exposition dialogue that is done in a way that you don't understand its exposition until you sit here and start analyzing it. You know, that's every movie, every movie has to have exposition. You just have to explain things to the audience. Cause that's the only way they're going to know. I mean, it's very rare where even, yes, you want to show, don't tell a lot of times, but it's, you do have to at some point lay it out what's happening here like why like wh- where they are in the beginning of their lives to what happens the event that happens to him and then you know where they're going so if you can do that in a way where it's you hide it you mask it you you, you know you, you even though it's exposition you don't realize it that's great writing and right. you, you need to recognize that when you're rewatching some of these movies not you but in general you butler you need to recognize it I, I did I gave you the I gave you the like. um so yeah, I liked that a lot. Um, other likes I had were I like the dream sequence when he goes under. I thought it was very Twin Peaks reminiscent. I like 
the theater turning black when he's going under. I like the imagery. You don't usually see that when someone's being hypnotized. You usually focus on the person just falling asleep. In this, you actually see the imagery. You see how he gets to that hypnosis. And I like how they play it again later on where he's trying to go under and it's ruined by um, Jennifer, Jennifer Morrison's ghost sitting there in the theater. Yeah. I thought that was cool. I was a big fan of that. I, re- I read when we were in research for this that, that, that was they did that on purpose. He wanted to show, because a lot of times in movies you see people getting hypnotized they never show you what's happening. Right. So he wanted to show that. But then I read that they also had to add a musical note at the end because people were getting hypnotized when they were watching it. Like it was actually, it was actually working. It was actually hypnotizing people, like people that are susceptible. Like she talks about the the lucky eight percent, yeah, eight percent that are susceptible. Um, so yeah, so they had to add like a musical note at the end to kick them out of it, so that they wouldn't get hypnotized. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I like that a lot. Uh, the one thing I didn't like about that theater scene, and I don't know if maybe this was the version that I watched, I, the camera was shaky in the theater in the uh, uh, in the seats I don't remember I thought I don't remember it really juddered and that kind of threw me out of it I, I, I didn't remember. understand why <clears throat> not that I still like that scene a lot I just didn't understand why maybe it was really shaky I kind of liked and didn't like that you kind of give away what happens to Samantha the ghost uh, about halfway through like when he goes to ask about hey does anybody know about Samantha the girl who lived in the block she disappeared and his landlord friend is being kind of creepy uh, his uh, the kids are being kind of creepy. Everyone's kind of being a little weird about it. And at that point, I knew. I was like, okay. So they're all in on this murder. And I liked that I didn't have to kind of get told at the end, oh, it was this, randomly. But at the same time, I didn't feel like they did enough of that. Well, I mean, what's the alternative? You have a character you've never seen before? Because it's got to be somebody that you know there. Well, that's why I like that it, they kind of let you know that it's going to be one of these guys or all of these guys. But I got the feeling that it was all of these guys right from the get-go, get-go mm-hmm. right when that scene happened. And having never seen this film before, I don't think I should have just been like, okay, they're the bad guys. Although I understand that this movie is more about the journey than the destination. I thought that kind of gave away a little bit too much mystery right then and there. See, but again, I would argue, then uh, who are you going to, you can't make it somebody that just shows up. I understand that. I just think maybe one of them and they they all become the suspects and then narrow it down as he goes. Um, but I, I get you. I get you there. But if we're going to, that I, I think. It's a nitpicky. That, it's a no, nitpicky no, 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 comment. That's fine. I'm not discounting it. And I'm not trying to argue that point. I'm just, when you start trying to add stuff to it, like now you're talking like. 120 minutes. You know what I mean? I get that. that I you want to make one of the reasons quick. I like this movie is it's 99 minutes long. Oh man, when I started this movie and I pressed the button and I saw the timer go, I was like, yes. But let's be honest, movies don't need to be that long. They shouldn't be that long. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, and I'm not, listen, I get it. Avengers Endgame is coming out soon and everybody wants it to be eight hours long, so the, you know, whatever. That's fine because that's a culmination of 45 other movies and that, you know, that they right. need to jam in there. But if you're just telling a simple story, I think a lot of people just don't understand the idea of just tell your story. Tell the one story. Don't jam it full of stuff that you think would be great and make the movie two and a half hours because nobody wants to sit through two and a half hours. Right. So, I mean, 99 minutes is tight. You get in, get out. You, you, you get told the story and you're good. You, you know, we don't, it, that's all we want. That's all anybody wants walking into the theater is a great story. But I'm, like I said, I'm not trying to discount what you're saying. <laughs> one of the things that – uh, go ahead because uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up, you brought up the um, theater scene. The, when he pulls out his tooth. 
Did you also put poltergeist? No. Oh, okay. I put in that he it, that was that was done in camera. That was a practical effect. Oh, I noticed that. I, I was impressed so by that. I would. Uh, did you read like what they had done? So basically, no. so he pulls out his tooth. What happens for people that haven't seen the or you should have seen it. <laughs> he pulls out his tooth and he and he drops it down and he goes. The camera goes down to the sink and it comes back up and everything's gone. He's fine. His right. Tooth is gone. So his tooth is there. So he does. He he dreams he pulled out his tooth. So he pulls out his tooth, and what they did was they put blackout on his tooth, and they put a cap over it. I did notice it was right. not at the same size so as they, the app. So they pull the he pulls the cap off, and he they cut they go to the and he has a tooth in his palm, another tooth in his palm. So he pull he pulls like the blackout off. He pulls the blackout off, and he drops the tooth into the sink. So when they go down the sink, then somebody comes in, wipes his mouth. And then leaves, and they bring the they bring the camera back up, and he's and he's right there. Nice. It's like I like that because if that was done today, it would have been all digital, and I would have seen digital, and would have ticked me off, and it was like it, it just looks so much better when it's I, and and even if you can pick out, you know, you know that looks like they they practically did that. I don't care because I like that. Right. Well, I think I picked it out because I'm looking at the film more and the how they made the film, whereas the casual viewer is just going to look at oh, he's pulling out his mm-hmm. tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did like that a lot. I liked the fingernail break as well. Oh man, that cringed me that. out. Oof. Yeah, that's ugh. that's not good. And, and we're not. We don't even have our reference point. Is what pulling back your fingernail on something like really quick? Basically, that's our yeah. Reference oh, God, point. I've never. Yeah, <laughs> my note is fingernail break. Dot dot dot. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's gross. Uh, I, I for some reason I have all these notes on practical stuff. So when he. Um, after he gets hypnotized the first time, mm-hmm. and then she tells him, "Yeah, you let me put a safety pin in your hand, and you bled out on one side." And, you know that was great. And then he's thinking back to that moment. Yeah, whose hand? Show, whose hand is it? It's a stuntman's hand. Oh, they actually geez. paid a stuntman to come in and and to do that and to let them do that to him. You know, my thought was, how much would I would it cost for me to do I that? I don't know, to man. But I, I'm I'm like I can't believe some guy was like, "Yeah, go ahead." I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Oh man, I mean, he is a stuntman, but damn, he must have had some calluses on his hand. Mm-mm. <laughs> and and when um when he sees when he sees her when she appears at the door when Samantha appears at the door and when remember he's listening to the music and he's right like, yeah okay when she when she's at the door and she starts walking backwards that's actually in camera as well so they sped the camera up and they had her walk as slow as possible um, backwards but like so like she wasn't like it it wasn't like she. It was all like they told her to walk as slow as possible, and they sped, they ramped the cam, they amped the camera up to like however many speeds, and they, right. And so I thought that was good too. That's uh, that's also a Twin Peaks kind of trick. So sure. I, I thought that was cool. <clears throat> Another Twin Peaks kind of connection to it. Absolutely. I can't. Okay, so tell me what you didn't like, because I'm gonna <laughs> shoot him down. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. What didn't I like? Well, you know what? I'll tell you what. You know, to your point. Uh, before you do that, not to interrupt you. But you to did. your, I know. But I'm going <laughs> Go ahead. To. to your point about the bad guys, I will agree with. They're not really supporting characters because I had wrote this down. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're ancillary characters. So you don't really, you don't see them a lot until, like Kevin Dunn's his friend. So I guess you do see him. Uh, you see him a decent yeah, amount, yeah. But the other guy, his landlord, you don't see a lot. Uh, until like towards the so it's kind of like because even like when he when they show the when he's jackhammering at the bottom of uh, in the basement yeah 
and you, you they cut to the show the landlord and he's just like what's going on over there like even then they're playing he's playing it off like he doesn't know yeah but yeah but go ahead they didn't get I mean I know again it's about a tight 99 minutes I get that but the site the stuff with the, the stuff with the, the cop who has a site Oh, right. Talking about Jake, I thought that was we, you didn't really go into it, and it mm-hmm. didn't really I feel like didn't really convince Maggie enough that they had this site. He's telling her, and how much proof does she need that there's something about her son and her husband that can't just be explained away? And I feel like it never really gets to the point where oh, she's a true believer, and so why put that in there? Cut it out. Boy's got the eyes on him, doesn't he? X-ray. Not you, though. Possibly daddy. They're not the only ones. Tell daddy to come by and see me a little later tonight. Might learn a few things. Bye, Jake. Bye, Neil. His name is Neil. To keep it shorter. I mean, just visiting the cop, maybe not going into the alley. I don't think you needed that scene necessarily, other than to put the, the knife in the pocketbook, which comes back later. I think that, and probably also to give her reason to believe her husband, because otherwise you're going to have, if you don't do that scene, you're probably going to have to have a scene where she, you have to at some point have her believe that her husband's not crazy. That's what the grandma scene's for. The phone call with the oh, grandmother's right. dying. Which is a great scene. It is a great scene, but that's... But that scene comes after she meets the guy, right? Right, Well, but she could still meet the guy at the funeral, but not need the alleyway scene, because she's already kind of started to believe, I believe as much as she was going to. Like, I don't believe meeting him makes her believe more. She believes what she believes. She's on the fence until grandma's dead. Grandma dies. Okay, I believe you. Well, and what's funny too is they they don't ever bring back in the sister in terms of like her kind of helping her out with that. I felt like she'd be more important in the story than she was. Well, bear in mind also this is the source material is already set. Like they were basing it on a book, so right. that, that guy's probably a character that was a little bit bigger in the book. Maybe I'm hoping I never read the book. I would assume they probably. I mean, you got a it's a longer novel. You have time to expand upon his character. Right. Right. The. I liked the scene when the scene when Frank's son, which is Kevin Dunn's character, the scene when Frank's son when his son shoots himself. Mm-hmm. Like after he shoots himself, that's like they never go back to it. They only go back to it when he goes to the house at the end to be like, "Hey, um, I have to turn him in." You know, I know what happened. Yeah. Then how's your kid? Sorry about your kid. Like it's like <laughs> they never really like go back to that, which. I thought was interesting, and I'm wondering if stuff was left on the cutting room floor or something like that. It's maybe. Yeah. I mean, again, when you're dealing with adapting a book, there's probably so, like, this is 99 minutes. The book is probably like, I should have looked it up. The book is probably like 450 pages, and it's got chock full of this kind of stuff. All these tangents and all the, and you probably know more about the landlord's son and the family and all that stuff. The book is 224 pages. So I was wrong. So The book was also made in 1958, so you've got to kind of update it as well. It's true. That's true. I really should read that book. That sounds like a book I'd like. I think I'm going to get that book. Maybe. You hear me, guys? I'm buying that book. <laughs> Welcome to Forgotten uh, Novels, a uh, new <laughs> podcast by Mike Field. <laughs> so that was a part I wasn't a huge fan of. The end, 
I wasn't a big fan of the end either. The big fight at the end between the guys just kind of seemed haphazard. Like, we have to end it. Which is a, a big problem that I think a lot of films don't know how to end. It just was like, alright guys, I'm gonna kill Kevin Bacon. Oh, the wife's here with the, the knife, which gets used only to stab the guy in the foot. When yeah. his buddy Frank is in the basement and he shoots the, the bullet. Yeah, I don't and we're know, supposed yeah. to pretend he did, he killed himself. Well, what did he shoot? Why did he I, shoot? Yeah, I don't know. Did he just miss? Is he that bad with the gun? Well, he shoots it. He shoots it to get him out of the cellar, right? He shoots it to get it out of the cellar. He shoots the side of the staircase. He might have just took him. Yeah, I, and then he goes upstairs. He took another shot. Yeah. yeah, so um, it was it was made effusive for the sake of being effusive, so that you didn't think you'd come up and save the day. Although, if you remembered his dream. He, he repeats the line again, they were going to kill you and Maggie. They were going to kill you, Tommy. You and Maggie both. I got, yeah, I, I got that. I know you did. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of that kind of uh, ex machina kind of happening there at the mm-hmm. end with him coming up. Because the big, what was supposed to be a surprise was just kind of like, really? Then why'd he shoot? So I, I wasn't a huge fan of that part. I did like... The bullet going up through the house and oh, going through the pillowcase the of the sons because the son saw feathers, so he didn't want to go. Yeah. Okay, Bob, you ready to go? I'm scared to go home. I want to stay at Uncle Steve's house. Why are you scared? Because of the feathers. What feathers? I don't know. I just saw feathers. I thought that was a nice little connection to the son. Yeah. Although you could argue, what is she going to do? Come home, put the son to bed, and then go down and take care of the business? Right. Well, I don't think I don't think Jake maybe knew exactly what was going to happen. He just saw the feathers and knew that the feathers gotcha. were bad. Gotcha. Because the vision, which is another thing I didn't like, is very vague at times, but very specific at other times. Well, they say that though. They talk about how it, you like if he doesn't know how to um, control the sight yet, in terms of when she met the guy, the cop. Right. Oh. He's a flashlight that turns off and on. Right. He doesn't. He doesn't get it. He doesn't know how to figure it out. But the scene where everything goes red. Oh, I like that scene. You didn't like that? Well, the thing I didn't like it is there were signs where it's like, okay, the red point, it's like now boarding, and he knew to go there and stuff like that in the direction he needed to go. But then he also knew that she was taking his son, and it, the vision didn't really give him that, I feel. And he just had to, we just had to infer that he knew. I would have liked maybe the just seeing the scene in red for a second, and he could get a flash of it, because I didn't get that... What we were seeing in the house was what he was seeing as well. Well, I think he was getting a sense of where he was. You're talking about when he's chasing after her? Before he's chasing after her, so when he, he just knows his son is gone. He warned that something was happening. Yeah, the yeah. red is just like giving him a headache. It's not specifically saying, hey, your babysitter is stealing your son. So I, didn't, I wasn't a big fan of that. I didn't understand where that was coming from. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of bothered me and was a little different than most of the other warnings he gets. Although I did like the, the flashlight going on and off, the red is very evocative of that. I did like that. I just didn't understand how he knew about his son being taken. And I thought maybe they could have done a little bit more with that. Not more, but given me like a red flash of the son being taken. Right. Because that kind of confused me a little bit. I mean, it's not like I didn't like the movie. It sounds it's like just, you didn't like it, but It's just I didn't like it as much as The Sixth Sense. It was still enjoyable. Oh, see, I'm sorry. But it's better. It's a better movie. Uh, I... I, I know people. I know this is not a popular opinion. And that's fine. I get it. And it's an opinion. Don't 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 get upset. It's fine. You know. I just <laughs> I've always liked this movie better than The Sixth Sense, and I like The Sixth Sense. A couple other things. 
he can't figure out the chords to paint it black. He's a, he's a rock star or a wannabe rock star. He oh, is he right, doesn't look. Right. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, where have I heard these you know chords what? before? You know what I'm gonna do this weekend. I'm gonna find <laughs> something you like, and then I'm gonna just play it. I'm gonna play a couple notes off off key and see if you can remember it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing was the. And this is just a, a, a total nitpicky thing. Yeah. Was when he hits the the side of the the wall and it just crumbles. Oh um, right, right. That I did not like the effect of that wall, and she's only been in there for six months she's wrapped in plastic Mm -hmm. and she looks like a mummy already Mm -hmm. she should be gross Mm -hmm. and she should have me she should he should when he opens that bag he should be taken aback by the smell yeah and he wasn't i was like oh he's gonna smell it he's gonna and he never did i let me let me backtrack what i said when she should smell i don't know i don't know forensics too well i don't so i don't know but yes okay for the sake of Suspending your disbelief in the movie, I'm okay with it, but I get what you're saying. Right. Um, that's fine. I was hoping their first reveal would be smell, and it wasn't. It was a little too mummy, and it's rated R, so you could you could go gross with that, mm-hmm. and they didn't, and I thought the effects would have been a little better if we saw. Well, it's clearly rated R because there's nudity right. and um, language. Right, but I thought if you're going to have it rated R anyway, you already know it's going to be rated R. Make that make that dead person gross. Make us go, oh, squeam a little mm-hmm. bit. I mean, you gave us the broken fingernail. Nothing's going to be that already. Mm-hmm. Another thing that, it's just more of a note, I don't know if, I, I guess I like it, is it was kind of reminiscent of another movie we did um, on this podcast, uh, The Burbs. Right. There are things like when Frank says, you know, this is a decent neighborhood mm-hmm. at the end when they're walking away. It did remind me a lot of The Burbs. Cold-blooded murder. Can't let something like that happen. Not here. This is a decent neighborhood. Kind of a darker, darker burbs. It was definitely a dark burbs. Or, uh, absolutely. Uh, D-burbs? <laughs> D-burbs. <laughs> Urban burbs. And uh, the... Uh, the herbs? The scene where <laughs> the grandmother dies, and it kind of gets Kevin Bacon alone, because the wife, uh, Maggie and Jake, go off to the funeral. It kind of reminded me of the burbs, how they use that as an excuse to get... Uh, the main character alone to mm-hmm. deal with the issue, and again, that that happened in the Burbs with Tom Hanks, Carrie Fisher, and her son walk uh, go to the lake, mm-hmm. and in this, Kim Bacon's wife and Jake, in a darker Burbs fashion, go to a funeral. The herbs, I, I like the herbs. The herbs, I right. that. the herbs, stir of echoes, <laughs> stir of herbs, the herbs. <laughs> um, but I kind of like that, and it kind of ties back into something that we've watched before, which is cool. And I enjoy the end of the movie, kind of ending on the darker tone, where Jake's going down the car. Oh. And all the ghosts are talking to him, and they know his name. Um, in that way, I do like that a little better than The Sixth Sense, that it's more of a personal attack on their son, that these creatures not just come to find him, but they know him and can be straight up hostile toward him. Mm-hmm. Um, gives it kind of a darker, like, is Jake going to be okay kind of kind of feel. I would have been cool with a sequel. I would have been all right with a sequel. I, I felt like know, it kind of led to gonna, a sequel. Yeah, I don't know where you'd go with it, but yeah. I mean, because where were they moving? You know, they were just leaving. I mean, I get it. There's like a homicide and <laughs> at your house that you've just trashed uh, trying to find the dead body. But um, yeah, I mean, I would have liked to see like what what's next because he's still open. Like um, Kevin Bacon's character is still open. Well, you don't know that they don't. They never really go with that. They say that after he solves the thing, it could go away or could not. Oh, that's true. He that's says it true. could be temporary, but Jake's is definitely full-on flashlight. That's true. That's true. I would almost enjoy, because Jake would be in his 20s now in the 
Yeah, it would be it, it'd be like the same thing when they did the uh, glass when they did glass and they did the unbreakable. It's the same age, exactly age time frame. Yeah, so you could do a film. You could even do like a series where he investigates the ghosts and stuff like that. But you could you could bring that back and expand upon the world, which I think they were trying to do with that cop character. Maybe, and like I said, it could be from the book. Uh, obviously, just they meant uh, like again. I have I should have looked into the book more, but there could there could be other books out there with these characters. And let's be honest, they could have just they could be moving eight blocks down the road. They might not be moving out of the city because it's not like he's. I doubt he's quitting his job, and you know, she has, she works. She's a nurse there, mm-hmm. so I mean, so I doubt that they were you know. And their sister lives there, so they're probably just moving another part of town. Right, that's so, what I imagine yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Right, so that 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 yeah, I, I get that. What else didn't you like? Uh, I think I just those two things. Uh, the whole thing about the, the the bad guys not really being supporting characters, more ancillary. Like mm-hmm. you didn't like, like I said, like Frank, Kevin Dunn's character just disappears for a good chunk of the movie, even after his son kills himself, or right? Kills himself, but tries to kill himself. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I don't understand why he shoots in his side. Like he, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but like, um, and then, like I said, like the same that same incident they never talk about after it happens. Like, you know, they have the, like when the wife's in there, like his Frank's wife's makes comments. They go to her consistently for like dialogue. Right. And then after the, after the accident happens with their son, you never see her again. You see her when he's jackhammering the basement and she notices that he's going to find the body. So she almost goes off to run to tell. Yeah, But see, I don't know if she knew they don't ever say that. I, I can un- I can definitely see sons going to their fathers and saying, "Dad, I screwed up. I killed this. I can't say this, but yeah, you know, I killed this girl." And um, and the fathers hide it. I can't see them telling the wives. I, I can see her not or her not knowing, her just being oblivious to or not oblivious, but not wanting to know, kind of thing. They never I, they never really say that she knows, right? But I think they infer it by the sight that she gives them. Well, she like, could just be going to the house and be like, "He Tom's doing something weird in his house," and then. Frank could put that together. Oh, wait a minute. He might be looking for something. Why? What's he doing in there? What's he? What? Because they're, they're he does. They don't know that he's got the site. So they they might be like, why is he digging stuff in his house? So he might find out what we did. Right. I don't yeah, think they yeah. know that he knows that there's a body there. But I think she's nervous about it because right. she knows. Um, but yeah. But that's it. I mean, I don't like. I said I don't have complaints about this movie. I like this movie. All right. Well, here's my. Ending thought on your biggest complaint? No, no, no. If we're, if our main topic is this versus Sixth Sense, ooh, excellent. Um, Are we going to get into this now again? Awesome. Uh, I should have watched the Sixth Sense again. <laughs> but go ahead. Here's here's what a I could watch this movie again. It's not not rewatchable. Like I said, I made the comment before about Sixth Sense always being rewatchable because you find stuff new about it. Sure, Stir of Echoes is still a, a fun movie. It was good. I enjoyed it. Um, when I watched the Sixth Sense. When Bruce Willis realizes he's dead, and he has that speech to his what? wife. So, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it. <laughs> when Bruce Willis realizes he's dead, and he's down in the living room, and he's watching his wedding videos, and he talks to his wife. Every time that gets me. And I'm not a guy that cries in a movie. It gets me every time. That's a fantastic scene. The music, the dialogue, everything. You feel for this character. You endeavor second. I love you. You sleep now. 
Everything will be different in the morning. I never really felt that way about any of these characters the way I felt about Six Sense. And I don't usually feel about those characters in many movies. Sure. Story of Echoes never had that moment for me. Okay. Where I felt for the character so much. So I would say that would always elevate Six Sense above Story of Echoes for me. That's fine. I mean, that's like I said, I'm not, I, that's, you're not wrong, and and that that's great. That, that I'm I'm glad that that movie touched you, you jerk. But no, I'm just kidding. No, that's fine. That, that's fine. But like I, for this, for me, for this movie, uh, I I like the story. I like the story. I like the acting. I just I liked everything about the movie. And like I said, like uh, the reason why I always I I've always said I've liked it more than the Sixth Sense is probably because uh, the whole idea of the Sixth Sense hinges around the a lot of the of the twist now i would argue with the sixth sense that that is not the best scene in the movie the best scene in that movie is when he tells tony collette his mom that he he's seen his mom her mother and she saw it when she went to the recital and she was so proud of her and tony collette just starts breaking down she wanted me to tell you she wanted me to tell you she saw you dance she said when you were little you and her had a fight right before your dance recital. You thought she didn't come to see you dance. She did. That scene, I think, is the best scene of the movie. Uh, and Tony Collette's fantastic in that. Tony Collette's amazing. She's in fantastic movie. in everything. Yeah. But I think that that scene is the best scene in that movie. And I would I would argue and I'm not I would argue that that scene the essence of that scene is so relatable and so believable in terms of mixing the supernatural and and the real world where that's what Stir of Echoes does and that maybe that's why I like that scene more and that's why I like Stir of Echoes is because I like the seamless I like the believability of like I can believe that in real life maybe that's why that's all I mean. Again, you're not wrong, and that's that's great. And and but I will still always like Stir of Echoes more than Sixth Sense. I like the Sixth Sense quite a bit. And to be fair, I didn't see the Sixth Sense when it came out in the theater. Uh, it was one of those every once in a while when you when a movie comes out and everybody wants to see it, but you just for some reason don't get to see it. Mm-hmm. And it you know you just like yeah. oh, I've never like, I've never seen Gone with the Wind, and I should see it because it's a you know it's classic. Primarily the reason I don't see it now is because my wife is upset that I haven't seen this movie because she loves that movie. So now I just don't see it to bother her. And that's <laughs> probably not cool. And, but, but, you know, it's the little things in life that keep us going. Exactly. I will eventually watch it. But um, <laughs> it's also four hours long. That's, <laughs> and that, that's, that's a night. That's a whole night. It's tough. So Sixth Sense I did not see when it first came out. I didn't end up going. And it was... Just to give you, a back, give you a little background, the theater that I worked at, the movie theater that I worked at, when this, yes, I've worked in the theater that long, when The Sixth Sense came out, we had it on one screen, and it was busy every weekend. It was packed. And it was on the screen that was the 600-seat house. It was packed. We got a second screen, got a second print of it, because back then this is film prints, not digital, so it's not like you can just up, you know, a wildcat a movie, as they say, across 
you know, all the New theaters projectors, digitally. Yeah, because yeah, now it's all digital. So we got a second print of it maybe three, four weeks into the run because they didn't understand that it was busy. Yeah. And then that print would sell out every weekend. So this and this and everybody was seeing this movie and this movie was so hyped up. You got to see it. You got to see it. You got to see it. And what's, what's amazing is that I didn't know the the twist. I, That's surprising. Yeah. And, I, and well, this is 99 too. This is not really like now where everyone's got everything's everywhere. Well, you always get those guys that walk out of the movie going, oh, I can't believe he was dead, dude. Oh, and man. there's a line of people waiting outside. I have, the, I, <laughs> I have a good story. I'll, I'll save it for later for another time. But, um, but yeah, so I saw it maybe two or three months after, so I didn't see it when it was all hyped up. So maybe that had, maybe I didn't get caught up in the whirlwind of the movie when I first and maybe that's why I don't know why. But I and honestly, I don't know if I saw Story of Echoes first. You know, since this was a month. right, so that might okay, be yeah. too. I, I I'm a little hazy on whatever whenever that came out. That could be as well. I'm seeing Story of Echoes far after right. Six Sense, so all I can do is make stir, uh, six sense rather comparisons. And I think that's, you know, that's obvious. That's a big thing in, in terms of like when you see a movie at what point in your life, you know, you know, there's movies that I loved that I went back and watched and I was like, I don't like this movie that much anymore mm-hmm. just because of perspective, but just because of, you know, your taste change and it happens. Um, before we go off on another 80, 80 minute tangent, <laughs> why don't we just, obviously our final question is always, should you go back and watch this? Now I'm going to, obviously it's yes for me. Uh, I would say, yeah, yeah. it's, it's okay. a, it's still a, it's a David Kep movie. The right. dialogue's fantastic. Regardless of whether you like Sixth Sense better or not, it's, there are so many horror mystery mm-hmm. thriller movies like that. This is a very good one. This is a good one. You, you watch it. The question would be to you is if the Sixth Sense didn't exist, mm-hmm. would you like this movie more? Stay tuned. <laughs> if I could go back and erase the sixth sense from existence, I yeah. get my DeLorean. I go back tonight. <laughs> Whenever you wrote it, I erase it. You're ruin- you're you're really wasting an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I said I was driving the DeLorean. <laughs> That's the opportunity. <laughs> but your choice is you can re- write anything you want. Fuck Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um I'd it's probably tough. like it a little more. Yes, yeah, I wouldn't. Brother. I wouldn't be making the comparison. So yeah, I would have to. I'd be. Oh, this is so original and different. <laughs> I, I understand they both came out at the same time. Come I get on. that. That's like saying that. like that's like when Volcano and D and uh, what was the other movie? Dante's uh, Peak. Dante's Peak came out, or like when Deep Impact and Armageddon came out. At the same I, time. I understand yeah. that, but I'm saying if you erased one from the other, whatever one you saw first wouldn't tinge your watching of the other one. Right. Right. So, yes, I would like it better if it wasn't for The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. That being said, I still like it. The dialogue's still good. I like the, the hypnosis scene. The mystery, even though I feel like it solves itself halfway through, is still worth getting through. And the acting is great. I, Kevin I Bacon's think, really good in this I think movie. that's my biggest selling point, is is the acting and the writing and just the, the filmmaking of the movie, the filmmaking stuff, whatever, all that stuff going into it. I just think it's a really well-told story. And I've always argued this when people are like, I don't like this movie. I don't like this movie. It should be done this. It should be done that way. And I'm like, listen, I got when I, I like the story that was told to me. I like the way it was told to me. I like the story. That's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's as simple as I can put it with this movie. So yes, go back and watch it. So then I have a question for you. Excellent. Why do we think it's forgotten cinema? I, primarily because we've been talking about Sixth Sense for the entire time. That's why. I think, I think the biggest reason why is because Sixth Sense came out a month ahead of it. It completely blew everything out. And that was like an, a, a horror. Well, not really horror, but it was like a supernatural mystery. And, and I think everyone just got caught up with that. And we always talk about September being the dead months. I mean, 
I know that now it, when we talk about the dead months of one movie, we've talked about this before. I think we talked about this during the Burbs episode. I think we did, yeah. Well, so we didn't know where to put movies stuff. Movies are, are dropped. They're dumped. Back in the day, they were dumped in because they didn't know what to do with them. September right. was notoriously one of those days. It's the week after Labor Day. You know, kids are back in school. No one's going to go out to the movies all the time now. That's probably part of it, but it's probably the sixth sense. We've we've been having a twenty minute argument about the sixth sense <laughs> versus this movie, and that's why. And and that's it. But it, you know, it's just that's why it's forgotten. Too bad, but not now. Not now. Now, now you guys all know about it. You're going to watch it, and uh, you're going to watch it enough to get us a stir of echoes too. <laughs> a real stir of echoes too. Yeah, there is a stir of echoes too. It stars Rob Lowe, and uh, it's not that good. <laughs> Needless to say, it will not be on the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Until we run out of ideas. Oh. Season 53, episode 5212. <laughs> Stir of Echoes 2. <laughs> I welcome that day. <laughs> what do you think? Eh, uh, whatever. Were we done yet? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think that's it. That is it. So we should probably plug what we're doing. Right. But also, if you guys have any feedback, suggestions... Um, if you uh, want to hear us talk about a specific movie, you know, please drop us a line. We'll uh, put the uh, information in all the uh, posts that we do and all the contact info. Um, in terms of, uh, we always like to kind of plug what we're doing next. Uh, I mean, honestly, all I do is write. So I'm working on. I just finished a play, like I talked about, I think last time, mm-hmm. called May Nineteenth, Nineteen Ninety Nine. Trying to see if I can get that going. Um, got a short I want to do. Not sure about that yet. And then, uh, yeah, I'm probably going to be writing a follow-up to the Adam Parker books. Like uh, Adam Parker and the Radioactive Scout and Adam Parker and the High School Bully are out now for sale at Amazon, yeah, Kindle, or uh, Softcover. And I'm going to probably work on a follow-up to that in that series. Ooh, the trilogy. Yeah, I, I actually, yes. I always thought it would be just three books, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. Because nice. I ended the second book. And the second book's kind of a downer, so i got to kind of come back from that. It's your empire. Well, I mean, you should have read the book already, Butler. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Uh, I've got a few things going I've got this podcast obviously Forgotten Cinema I've got another podcast that I do with my fiance called Crackin' One Open with Mike and Elise where we go over brews, reviews and pop culture news and basically we crack open a beer we talk about that beer usually it's something craft beer local something you guys might not have tried yet but should and while we're drinking that we talk about stuff going on in pop culture and what we're watching not just forgotten stuff, popular stuff. Have you had the Fruit Loop beer yet? I have not had the Fruit okay, Loop beer okay. yet. I, I, I'm getting to it. All right. Um, but we will be drinking that on the podcast. <laughs> I've also got another podcast with my brother that's out now called Two Player Bros. It's a podcast by two brothers who play way too many video games where we talk about all video game uh, news. And we go over previews of upcoming video games and review the games that have come out within the past week or so. And that is a bi-weekly podcast that you can listen to now wherever uh, podcasts are found. That's that's all I got. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, My name is Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this is Forgotten Cinema.